From the University of South Florida in Tampa, you're listening to Upload Download with James Hatton. Welcome to this edition of Upload Download. I am joined today by Dr. Joshua Ellis. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing well, Jim. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Uh, it's always good to see an old friend. Uh, you and I are colleagues from the University of Minnesota, where we both got our PhD. Um, I'll kind of leave it at that and leave you to tell us a little bit more about yourself and what uh, you're doing these days, uh, especially in Florida, which two Minnesotans in Florida, that's a good thing. I think so. It's been good for me and mine, and I hope you feel the same way. There's been a, a lot of adjustments on a lot of levels, but it's true. We started at the University of Minnesota. I was in the STEM education PhD program, but I had a supporting program in learning technologies, or LT, and I believe that's where we met. We overlapped a little bit yep. and developed an interest and a, an appreciation for how we can use technology to help people learn. So we've, we are alike in that regard. And I think we're also probably alike in not missing having to shovel snow all winter long. Yeah. Do you okay. miss your shovel? No. And you know, the concept of shoveling snow, my students didn't even realize that. I said that that's one thing I will never miss is getting up an hour early because you can't get out of your driveway to shovel snow. And they were like, I'm sorry, what? You have to shovel the snow? And I said, well, yeah, if there's like three feet of snow in your driveway, you can't just drive your car through it. <laughs> the, the concept of shoveling snow to my students in Florida who grew up in Florida, totally, totally foreign to them let alone ice fishing and things like that. <laughs> oh, yes. I remember trying to explain the concept of black ice to my yeah, students. Yeah. And it was just too many things that were unfamiliar to Miami natives and other folks that hadn't lived in Minnesota or other cold climates. Right. And you're in Miami. So you're at Florida International University. And uh, right, you're an assistant professor right now. That's uh, correct. Hopefully not too, for too much longer. You get to get uh, promoted and get some new tenure and... That would be awesome. Uh, tell us uh, what you do at Florida International FIU. For sure. I work in the Department of Teaching and Learning uh, as a professor of science education and also STEM education. Part of my day job involves working with the elementary science methods courses, uh, helping students that are studying to become classroom teachers, K-12 classroom teachers, to develop the skills they need to be successful in teaching science, uh, even at elementary levels where Sometimes you hear that elementary teachers maybe only have the opportunity to spend one hour a week on science. And I think you could turn on the news today, any channel, and see the importance of helping students understand science, whether they're going to become future doctors and nurses, or if they just want to be informed citizens and have an understanding of what's going on when someone on TV tells them about numbers and spread and anything else related to the current pandemic. So that really puts those ideas in sharp relief for my students. And they've really developed an interest in learning how to do those kinds of things and engage students in those kinds of practices in their future classrooms. Yeah, you talk about a teachable moment for science teachers right now. That's This is it. This is the pinnacle of teachable moment, I think. I think so. And I, I don't want to overdo it. I do get tired sometimes when it's the only story that's on yeah. indefinitely. Not that it's not important by any means. But one of the things that I was... Uh, helping my students understand early in the course was that you really need to make learning contextualized for your students and connect it in some way to something that they care about or an issue that they face in their 
homes and their communities. And boy, this, uh, this, this made that very clear and uh, was a, a prime example of how you might be able to do that. So they really took that up in a big way. You know, I've, I've said this before on the podcast, but my oldest daughter, her name is Bryn, uh, she, is, she was in the middle of student teaching her last part of becoming a middle school science teacher. Uh, wow. She was uh, a shout out to the school district she was in. She was in the um, she was in the Osseo school district. So she was doing her uh, student teaching at Maple Grove High School and getting ready to move to a middle school uh, because she needed middle and high school uh, teaching experience when they shut down all the schools and, and shut down the student teachers, which is a difficult, difficult position for uh, those entering the teaching profession. You really need the student teaching for one thing, the experience of it. And it's a, it is definitely a capstone moment for a senior in college that's becoming a teacher. And uh, yeah, she, she's kind of expressed a lot of things like you have, which is that it's a teachable moment. Yes. It's contextualized. Yes. I'm a little overwhelmed by how much I have to talk about it because everybody sees me as a science person. And mm. so I, I hear, I hear that loud and clear in, in, what you're saying too. So it's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting time to be in technology and in science ed, I think. <laughs> I agree. And educational technology as well. Uh, yeah. Of course, something you talk a lot about on your podcast here. And uh, it's something that I'm thinking about in different ways these days for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. Uh, there, there's a lot that I've learned from, from this situation. Uh, and uh, some of it's from watching my son, who's in third grade, do his coursework, his third grade coursework in an online environment, and some of it from having to help a lot of colleagues, uh, definitely get called on to do that, and from this discussion that I'm having with a lot of people on the podcast. Uh, I've learned some things even about my own online teaching that I didn't really uh, expect to pop up. The, some some thoughts where I was like, oh, I need to start doing that more. I need to be better at this. Because now suddenly everybody's involved and you start to see different ways to do things, which is fantastic for the field of online education. But it's it, it's a humbling experience for somebody who's done it for a long time because we don't have all the answers. It's Teaching is a complicated business. <laughs> I like your perspective on that. Some days I feel like I'm more cynical than you. My, my worry is that with this huge leap towards suddenly bringing everything online, that we're actually going to do some harm and, and make some people think, oh, this is just rubbish. I don't ever want to do this online stuff again and actually take some steps backward. But I prefer your perspective yeah. and I, I hope that that's what happens. Yeah, I think I think what uh, I think there's two ways that this could go. This is just my my we can talk about this kind of and maybe hash it out, see if we can come to an answer on it. I don't think we're right. close, but, <laughs> but I, I, I think that uh, so many people have been put online and, and I mean, everyone, I mean, mm -hmm. not, even like grandparents and stuff, you know, everybody's online. So that I think people start to get comfortable with technologies and being in a tech, uh, a mediated environment, a technologically mediated environment. And because of that, I think that you will get some people who say, oh, I hate that, you know, or whatever. That That's bound to happen. Anything that happens like this, there's going to be people who will say, I am never using Zoom again in my life or something, right? And I think that, but it also introduced a lot of people to being online and to realize, especially educators, that you can educate 
online and it has great affordances for even a face-to-face classroom that they didn't even know existed. And mm-hmm. so now they find new applications that they weren't able to use. And just the exposure to everyone, yes, will create some naysayers um, and people that are just not comfortable with it. Um, but you have you forced people to to kind of get out of the Luddite <laughs> level of of I don't want to interact with technology. And and so at least they've been exposed and that exposure can only be good because there's so many people involved that and i agree with you that there could be some really crazy negative connotations to it but i think the the positive with teachers and how how good they are at finding educational uses for things uh, and how creative teachers can be um, speaking mostly of classroom teachers that they can that they'll they'll see valuable things in educational technology one way or another that's my long speech about that. <laughs> oh, I agree with you 100%. And at the end of the day, I like to think I land where you do. <laughs> that with so many teachers who are already some of the most creative and hardworking people I know, I, I, to think that they can't find a way to make this work for their students, uh, I think is doing them a disservice. They absolutely can, and they will. And they'll think of things that people like you and me may never even think about yeah. once. I've, that's uh, some of the stuff I've seen. Yeah, it's... Absolutely. And that's great. That's fantastic. I think for me, if I'm going to try and help someone, anyone in this endeavor to do these kinds of things, uh, I'm reminded of some of the conversations that we had in uh, LT back at the University of Minnesota, where you can think of online tools that make it feel like a face-to-face interaction. Like we're meeting over Zoom right now. Right. And it, it, it doesn't feel hundred percent like the real thing, but there's some presence here and, and that's a nice thing. And I think the other way to go is to think about technologies that change the way you interact and maybe even make it better than in a face-to-face classroom setting. And that's a little bit harder to think about uh, because right now with this immediate transition to bring in everything online, my first priority is continuity. I want to make sure students don't feel a huge jarring change. I want them to feel as comfortable as possible, keep the routines as similar as possible. And I'm in that first category right now. But I think as we go forward, and I wonder if you agree that this will probably change things forever, whether or not we're quarantined and and what the landscape may look like. I think this shift has been kind of seismic. I want people to think about the affordances that technology can provide for new ways to learn, ways that might even be better mm-hmm. than face-to-face. That's something in all of this that actually has me excited. And I hope to share that with other people. Yeah. And I think uh, on, to piggyback off of that, you're going to see uh, entrepreneurs that think about this as something that is, I mean, for better or for worse in, in our society, that is going to drive a lot of the innovation is going to be the drive for money it's it's not going to be altruistic entirely <laughs> and but how can how can major companies not be seeing while well, we could really capitalize on it I, i'm sure you hear people talk about all the time oh i wish i had stock in zoom well mm. right don't, don't we kind of all think that right now uh but there's certainly people in uh, i'm sure out in the san francisco area that are thinking well, let's come up with the next great thing that could really uh, fill a void that we're suddenly seeing is kind of a gap that existed and that there is an interest in, in I don't know, filling that gap that's, that is 
necessary and could make money. I'm sure that's how people think. It's not really where we're at. We didn't go into academia to make money, but that, but definitely, I think that you're going to see even that 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 level of uh, innovation come about. Let alone pedagogical innovation, which I think we are seeing right now. And I, and I agree with you too that um, that we people have been for three, four weeks, whatever the number is for everybody. And I'm talking the entire educational system of the United States. They've been in. Well, let's uh, let's keep everybody moving. Let's see how this settles down. The dust has got to settle, and then I think pe- you're going to start seeing in the next week or so people start saying, "Okay, let me try this. Let me try something different uh, with my online class," and that's where the innovation is going to come. Yes, and I think when that level of panic and crisis goes down, there'll be more space for people to want to take a risk and try something new. Uh, And and I hope those companies, uh, whatever their motives are, do start to generate some of the things that can maybe help us rethink the way we interact with each other. I'll say this, I think the companies are going to have to be a little more careful this time because as consumers, I think people are a lot more informed and a lot more wary about things like privacy, things like data. Um, I I had mentioned Zoom and we're using it right now. For a while there, there was this lovely little green padlock with an E on it. And it said it was end-to-end encrypted. And people found out, oh, well, it's not actually (laughs) end-to-end encrypted. So what does that mean? And I don't think five years ago, maybe even one year ago, there would have been as much furor over that. I, I think People are becoming much more informed about what companies are doing with their data, their privacy, what you're getting when you get something for free, Mm -hmm. knowing that there's something that comes with that. And I think that's a very good thing. And I hope it's something that these companies will take into account when they create new technologies that will provide the things we need without coming at a cost that maybe is unreasonable or unwanted for many people using them. Right. Yeah. And maybe that is another area that cybersecurity level uh, encryptions and things like that, that maybe that's that that's an area that booms now because of that, because now we've all had to be more aware of it. The election always looming out there is mm-hmm. and Facebook issues with with what revolves around that. That is also another area that might drive that. It's like a perfect storm right now that maybe that's the area that people suddenly really start working hard to, you know, even to, we might even have to vote online or by mail, you know, is mail online? I don't know what it's going to be, but there's just a lot of things that could happen. I think a lot about blockchain these days. I don't, Mm. um, but that's, that's a different discussion in a different day. (laughs) That's, that's an entire podcast for many people. So (laughs) I'll come back for that one because that's one that I would enjoy talking about as well. But uh, if if you'll have me back, I'd love to come back and and chat about that sometime. Hey, I I would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about living in Miami right now. Miami, uh, the Miami area is the area that is suffering the most from COVID-19 deaths and uh, people that are carrying the virus that have tested positive. What's it like to live in that area right now? Uh, well, you're right. In the state of Florida, it, it's probably ground zero. Um, I think for me, I haven't been here very long prior to this pandemic happening. So maybe my baseline is not as informed as other people's, but I think I noticed pretty darn quickly when folks started taking it seriously and, uh, 
behaviors changed, some uh, for the better, maybe some not so much. I don't know who bought all the toilet paper, but we finally got some like a week ago. Yeah. Uh, Same here. And <laughs> Same in Tampa. <laughs> but I, I think uh, people are kind of like uh, when it comes to privacy and security with these apps, I think people are more aware and more informed about the actions that they're taking out in the real world, if you will. I, you know, oh, I should wash my hands. Like that, that's a, that's a great idea. Uh, when I, when <laughs> it was I, always I'm a not, great idea, right? <laughs> well, exactly. I, I, that's it. And and it's a it's a shame if it takes something of this scale and proportion to remind people of that. But that can be the positive. I I think. Uh, you know, we joke constantly about the state of traffic in Miami and the lack of public transit. And now the turnpike is empty. And some might suggest the fact that our public transit system is not very extensive might actually be helping to limit the spread. So I have a lot of mixed emotions about uh, what it means for Miami and me living here and, and what things are going to look like going forward. Uh, I, I can understand everyone says, oh, these, these people are so nuts. They're clamoring to have the beaches reopened. Our beaches are great. I want our beaches reopened. Right, right. But uh, so I, I understand that impulse. And I think trying to balance uh, safety and freedom has always been challenging. It's kind of been, I would suggest, a, a, at the heart of what we do in this country. So in some respects, it's not different. But I think people are, are handling it well. I think People are making smart decisions. I'm encouraged by what I see down here. And I'll be very happy when we can go out to restaurants and beaches and, and congregate with you know, more than 10 people or whatever the rule is. Right, now. right. Yeah, I think about that moment uh, a little bit. It's it's hard to even con conceptualize what that might look like. I, I just envision everybody walking out their doors at the same time, rubbing their eyes as they go into <laughs> sunshine together. And, hey, I'll uh, tell you this. Everybody is jamming on their grills in the backyard yeah. everywhere. It's like <laughs> six o'clock if I go for a walk uh, and keeping my distance, of oh, course. Uh, I can too. smell it. Oh, you got to do it. Yes. <laughs> and we can do it year round, Jim. Yes. That's what we couldn't do in Minnesota. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's that's how many people are staying sane, myself included. So uh, I'll, I'll keep firing up that grill. What else are you doing to stay sane? What do you? We go for walks <laughs> every day. We make sure we go for about a three three mile walk as a family. Um, All right. Are you doing anything? You've got any tip on that and what you're doing to keep yourself well, having, engaged? <laughs> yeah, ha having a dog helps for the walks. Um, so that that's always a, a good place to start. Um, I think my wife is more physically active and has been running in the morning and doing about three miles uh, from what I recall. I, I enjoy biking more than running myself, but I think finding different things to do, uh, perhaps even things that don't involve the computer. Uh, yeah. Like I, I love reading on my Kindle, but I actually switched it up and said, you know, I'm going to read a real physical book because I just need a change right now. Yeah. And so I think finding ways to introduce variety when right now a lot of people are not feeling a lot of variety, I can say for me that that's been beneficial. Yeah, I, I've, I feel the same way. I, I'm, I realize I'm sitting at my computer, like sitting, staring at my screens uh, for hours on end. I mean, I'm working longer days than I've probably ever worked. Uh, not ever worked, but I mean worked in, in academia that uh, where I'm just like present at all time instead of mm -hmm. I, I'll look at the clock and what time where's time gone and I forgot to eat lunch you know that, those kinds of things mm -hmm. happened to me that didn't never really much happen to me before um, 
and then we eat and then the family's like well let's go watch our latest binge watch and it's more screen and uh, and i've had to start doing the same thing where it's like I, it's just i can't watch tv right now i can't as much as I want to watch or whatever we're watching, although I'll watch the Michael Jordan thing. I'm watching that. That's that oh, was fascinating. Okay. So that, but that's coming out in, in series every Mondays. I, I think it's Mondays, um, and that's okay. or Sundays, Mondays. I don't know. I don't. What are days, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> that's the joke, right? Every day bleeds into the next. Yeah. But but I, I'm trying to to stop from staring at screens and interacting with just screens. It's it's helped to have the podcast, mm-hmm. frankly, because. Uh, I get to see everybody. And so I at least feel like mm. I'm talking to other human beings and not just in meetings where everybody's on the screen in a meeting. Those, those right. are a different discussion for a different day too. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of podcasts, I've actually upped my podcast intake as a result because I think it's a different way to consume information and I can just, I can listen and maybe I can multitask, but half the time I'm not, I'm just sitting down and, and listening to a podcast. Like people must've, listen to the radio once upon a time and that has helped augment things a little bit for me so i i enjoy these podcasts including yours and i think that can be another way to mix it up and turn off the screen for a moment while still accessing things you care about or hearing stories that uh, make you happy yeah and that's one of the purposes of this podcast is just to make people feel like you're not in what we do in in education that you're not alone that you're not mm-hmm. some of the things that you're you're feeling or that you're seeing as challenges others are too it's and, and that we because we don't get that community when we're away from each other mm-hmm. and so that was one of the things that I, I'm finding is very helpful to me in doing the podcast is to feel like oh you're going through this in Miami it sounds a lot like what's going on in in Tampa and uh, I, frankly, it sounds very similar, except that they opened, the, they did open the beaches in Pinellas County here just the other mm. day. And, or, or no, they, they voted to not open them, uh, but they're, they're really pressuring like they did in Jacksonville uh, mm-hmm. up in that area where they're, they, you saw the people that were congregating. And if they, if they could just stay away from <laughs> each know. other and go to the beach, you'd be fine because the beaches are as wide open as can be. You don't need to be near each other. I don't get it. It it, it baffles me as well. And the the thought in my mind is, you're going to ruin this for all of us. Come on. Yeah, (laughs) you just hold off. Yeah. Um, So uh, one last thing, and then we should probably wrap up. But I want you to uh, tell us a little bit about what it was like when uh, FIU went all online, what what that kind of did to all of your colleagues and, Mm -hmm. and just your students and everything. Do you have kind of a general, I don't know, observation about that? Sure, I can try. It's pretty fresh in my memory. Um, you know, as things were ramping up and, and things were looking a little bit more serious, um, one of the things that FIU did is they said, we're not saying that we're going online right now, but we'd like you to start thinking about what that might look like. We'd like you to create a plan and, and even very broad strokes, just start mapping out what that could look like or what it would take, what resources you might need in order to make that transition. Uh, and then uh, the transition came pretty quickly. And I think as someone who has a background in learning technologies and instructional design, for me, it was always a part of what I did. Even for my face-to-face classes, I had, I'll say, rich online learning environments. Uh, For me, the impulse was because one of my courses I'm thinking of right now only meets once a week. But I wanted to continue to have activities and engagement that would go on throughout the week. So 
when we did meet again, it wasn't like nothing had happened for a week. So an online learning environment was one way to affect that. And so I already had some of that in place. And so for me, the transition wasn't as jarring. And thankfully, it wasn't as jarring for my students who had been used to interacting in our course using this online learning environment. And I'm talking about Canvas. Is Canvas. What we have. You guys uh, use Canvas. Uh, we do too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, which is is great. You can you can make it do what you want. Uh, uh, at least I've been reasonably successful in that regard. So that helped. But I do know a lot of my colleagues uh, were not necessarily running their courses in the same way, or they had smaller courses and perhaps didn't need to bother with a robust online learning environment. Or I think of instructors that have used other uh, learning systems like the, uh, the NSTA Learning Center is a really rich resource for science teachers. And so one instructor elected to use that in lieu of Canvas. Huh. And, and there were many great activities there, but it became a challenge when all of a sudden we need to bring our instruction online. And how do these pieces fit with one another now? And how do I continue to teach in the way that I'm used to teaching with this shift? And I think the short answer is for many people, it, it wasn't compatible. And that's not uh, to, to disparage what they do, but it's a big shift for anyone. And I think people realize, oh boy, I've got to rethink how I do some of these things. So I hope that I've been able to help my colleagues that have asked for help or people that are just wondering, hey, how do you do this? How do you handle X? And I can share at least what I've done, whether it worked or not. But I think, again, going forward, once the panic subsides, once the crisis mode uh, dissipates, I think we're going to have opportunities for people to think more creatively and have the freedom to think about, all right, how can I really improve this and make this something that isn't just good enough, but something that I can really be proud of. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been great to, to touch base with you. It's always good to see somebody from uh, Minnesota. Go Gophers. Yes, That's yes. what I always say. <laughs> go, go, well, I should say go Gophers and, uh, and Panthers. I don't think we're in the same conference, so I think that's okay. <laughs> I'll allow. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah. Great to talk to you, Josh. And, uh, you know, take care of yourself down there in Miami. Yes, you as well, Jim. And, and good luck helping people do what you do best. I appreciate it. And I'm sure they do, too. Follow, upload, download on iTunes or SoundCloud. Also follow me on Twitter at Jim underscore Hatton, H-A-T-T-E-N.